0: I couldn't, I could not hear any noise at all. I could hear the throbbing of my heart. I could hear the heartbeat pounding. I I could feel a tingling sensation creeping down my forearm, my vision coming and going, but my thoughts changing from one more try, one more try to I can win, I can win, I can win. I could see the tape stretched across the finish line. 30 yards to go, my thoughts became over and over again. I won, I won, I won. (laughs) But I'm still in 3rd place. Hello humans, welcome to the M-Word, the Manx Sports Podcast, brought to you by Martin. That's me. i uh... That's him. Back, Matthew. Good to see you. Speak you. See you. Yeah, see you. I can see you. Yeah, you, you well? <laughs> yes. Very Good. Well, thank you. What's
1: so? the report? Um, no, unfortunately, no, no. Not. the I'm boring sure. life of the yeah, yeah, yeah
0: no. I've neither, unfortunately. So we'll get <laughs> straight start, into yeah. it. More importantly, you're not here to listen to us. So let's uh, let's crack in. So uh, as normal, billboards.im, our sponsor. Much appreciate what they do for us in getting our brand and our podcast out there. Digital advertising. You've seen them in the street, you've seen them at the C Terminal, so if you want to advertise and make an impact, that's what these advertisements do. So get in contact with the guys down at billboards.im, the future of advertising. Thanks again, guys. So we're going to, uh, well, our guest we interviewed recently, so we're going to cut, in, cut, cut into the interview shortly. Uh, but I suppose the first question I have before we do that, Matt, is on the introduction, did it ring any bells?
1: Unfortunately, no. no. I can't, probably can't not. tell you what that was. Maybe. And, and
0: uh, the audio is potentially not the greatest, so apologies if it was a bit grainy. But it's actually, as you all obviously know, it's from the 1964 uh, Tokyo Olympics that we were all attended, and it was uh, audio of uh, relating to uh, a guy called Billy Mills, who's a US athlete. He won the 10,000 uh, meter, 10,000 meters. Yeah, and. He, the reason we played the audio was it was obviously running race. Uh, we're just about to chat with, or just about to listen to the audio of us chatting to Keith Gerrard. Uh, he's got a, a very impressive uh, CV of cross country and track, representing the Ireland and GB at a very high level. Uh, Keith now lives in New Mexico uh, in the states, and we chat to him earlier, really chat through his whole career from, from grassroots in the in the Ireland uh, onto pro, basically being a pro. And ten thousand K going back to Billy Mills was his uh, one of his specialty events, and uh, the clip, funnily enough, when I found it and spoke to Keith about it, it was uh, a clip he's quite quite fond of as well. Actually, in the commentary commentary in it, so you know, feel free to find it on YouTube. In fact, it'd be in our footnotes. So that's uh, so that was Billy Mills, yeah, and just an exciting end to that race back then. So uh, what we're going to do now is cut into that audio uh, and you know enjoy enjoy listening to Keith. The chat we had with Keith it was interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, very yeah. much so. Enjoy. Yeah. Keith, uh, thanks for taking the time to to join us for a chat
2: Pleasure to be here, thanks for having me
0: No problem, Uh, first question we ask everyone is, I appreciate you're not on the Isle of Man right now, (laughs) but are you uh, come over, Manx, Manx, Manx or Manx as the Hills
2: I think the fact that I don't live on the Isle of Man at the minute automatically disqualifies me from Manx as the Hills, doesn't it? So, um, I was born on the Isle of Man though, raised there, schooled there so I'm going to say I'm somewhere between Manx and Manx Manx.
0: Yeah, we'll go with that. Sounds reasonable. So uh, you mentioned their schools. Where did, you, uh, where did you grow up on the Isle of Man?
2: Um, I grew up um, as a kid in Crosby, actually. Went to Moran Primary School and then um, in my teens moved out to Peel and went to QE2. All right.
1: And uh, what were your first memories of sport?
2: My first memories of sport were...
1: Um,
2: Mostly football, um, just in case any Americans pick this up, but that's, uh, that's soccer to them. But um, yeah, mostly um, just kicking a ball around, um, you know, just in the streets, down the playing field as a kid. Um, used to love football, uh, had a very active childhood. And then um, like later in my teens, joining local football club, used to play a bit of Sunday League with Union Mills. That's my first memories of any sport.
1: What way did you play?
2: Uh, I used to play for Union Mills, left winger.
0: Left, oh, right, okay. Yeah, the left back. Not yeah. many of us lefties around.
2: Yeah, do they still call it left wing.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, maybe not for the American listeners, but but we'll go with, yeah. uh, with the British ones. That's fine. So, uh, you then uh, obviously, I understand you can't then moved into or started to get into running then in your late teens. Is that right?
2: Yeah, um, as I say, very active childhood. Um, Always very fit as a kid. Um, Used to try a little bit of everything, but football was my main love. Uh, Had glimpses here and there of, um, you know, my running potential growing up. You know, used to do quite well in uh, sort of annual school cross-countries and um, used to run my house cross-countries in in school a couple of times and uh, the inter-schools cross-countries as well. But it didn't really um, take over my life until I was about probably about 16 years old.
0: And your folk, your folk, your folk
2: sporty. Um, yes and no. My mum not so much. Uh, she enjoys like, watching sport, but she never really um, competed or took any sports too seriously. Uh, my dad um, used to play a bit of manx football and was a fairly decent badminton player when he was younger. But neither of them were uh, true runners or competed to any kind of elite level.
0: Grassroots athlete.
2: Yeah, just. Um, yeah, they just, just enjoyed sport, and they weren't um, top level in anything, so not really sure where the genes came from.
0: <laughs> so as you get into running then in the sort of 16, 6th six, round, sixteen is that? Yeah, playing, I, playing I did how did that expand out?
2: Yeah um, I think, uh, like I say, um, always very fit as a kid um, and used to do quite well in sort of school sports days and um, School cross country races, and then I remember when I was about just turned 15 years old. Um, for whatever reason, I just started going out a little bit, uh, out running by myself a couple of times a week. Um, you know, just after school in the dark, just just by myself. Uh, as I say, I don't really know to what end at this why I was doing that. I just think I used to just enjoy pushing myself and used to like the feeling of being fit um, was, you know, I'm quite an introvert person as well. So I think I was just sort of finding myself in that sense too. And I just used to start to realize that I enjoyed going out running and um, I quickly learned when I started to go out running off my own back that, um, you know, um, training equals running faster because I sort of had a noticeable sort of improvement in my cross country running locally and in school as well and i just felt fitter on the football pitch and um i remember i ran an interschools cross country placed second i think i was in year 10 in school at the time and uh, just a couple of seconds behind um a guy who was sort of the, the big cross country dog on the island at the time and his dad a guy called graeme davies who used to coach down at uh, manx Harrys at the time Um, sort of scouted me out if you like and he said why don't you come and join join the group uh, down at Max Harriers and as I say I was still a footballer at this point Um, but I sort of agreed you know uh, once a week to go down and train with the guys and um, I really enjoyed that that kind of I opened my eyes a little bit as to um, what it was all about to be a runner and as I say I was still I was still a footballer at the time I was just kind of you know, turning up as and when Definitely. down at Max Harriers, and I'll do the odd um, cross country league race in my age group and um, do well at school cross country. And then um, it was about a year after I'd been sort of between football and cross country that I ran an event on the Isle of Man called the Easter Festival of Running. Uh, there's a, there used to be a race which started at the grandstand, Five Mile Road Run, which ran around the streets of Douglas. And um, I was the second local finisher that day. Um, i only 15 years old, but I beat every Manx local, bar one. A guy called Andy Fox, who was arguably one of the best runners or the best runner on the Isle of Man at the time. So, like, shocked a lot of people, including Andy himself. And um,
1: what, what age were you at this point?
2: I was only 15 years old. And as I say, I was still a footballer at the time. I was just kind of dabbling with running, you know, just joining the group occasionally down at Manx Harriers. And um, as I say, I turned up and beat all but one of the Manx locals. And um, a few days after the Easter Festival, my, the landline rang at home, the phone rang, and it was Andy. And uh, he said, you've got some talent. I think you need to come down and train with the senior group at Manx Harriers. So that's what I did. And within a few weeks, few months, things quickly um, quickly sort of took off. It was a case of big improvements in a very short space of time. Once I started uh, training with the senior group down at Max Harriers, um, as I say, that was in the Easter festival of running that Andy spotted me. So that would have been around April time. Yeah. And then I think by the June, so only about 10, 12 weeks later, I picked up a medal at the English schools um, track and field championships over, over 3k, 3000 meters. Uh, so and who I would, was? Who, who I,
0: would, I, I, was that representing Isle of Man or representing Harriers?
2: Uh, no, you run for in the English schools at the time. You ran for I ran for Merseyside. That would be our affiliated county if you're from the Isle of Man. I think now, now you run for the Isle of Man in the English schools, but back then uh, the affiliated county was Merseyside. So um, I picked up a medal there, and that's that's at national level. You know, that's a um, a championship for the best English um, school boys and school girls. And I think it was at that point that I, I never kicked the ball again and I, it was full steam ahead with, with running. So that was kind of like my gradual transition from local footballer to um, national level schoolboy
0: runner. And the, de- the next stages of what you saw ahead was, I, w- I want to... I want to pursue this a lot more. I want to put more time into it. So those, I guess you went and did A-levels and around, around and around that time, you, you just focused then on, on the studying, obviously, and, and training and running.
2: Yeah. Um, so I would have been year 11 in school at the time doing my GCSEs when I picked up that uh, national level, uh, national medal in English schools. Um, as I say, I was just transitioning out of uh, being a Sunday league footballer um, at the time. I might have even still been playing Sunday league football when I won that medal at the English schools um but as I say I was I was training with the senior group at Manx Harris by then and um yeah that that was probably the moment where I realized okay you could be good um forget the football let's see where well let's see where this can go and I think I was I was truly in love with it by that point as well I just um as I say, quite an introverted um, person, just love pushing myself. Um, And once I sort of just tasted a bit of success, especially at that level, um, it just completely uh, swallowed me up. Um, I always say that running kind of found me, and that sounds a bit cliche, but it's not like I made a decision to be a runner. Um, I just kind of gradually fell into the sport and then it just swallowed me up once I had a bit of a taste of success.
0: Yeah, it's quite a... uh yeah. late not late age, but obviously typically you certainly when I first started speaking to you, I assume you've been running since you were nine, ten, eleven. Uh, so yeah, it is is kind of it feels it kind of came a bit but a little bit later anyway, perhaps not later well. No. Yeah.
2: yeah, not not really. I think people do presume oh he's been running since he was four years old. Mm. Um not at all. I didn't even um I didn't play any sports for a, a club of any kind until I was eleven years old when I joined Union Mills Football Club. As I say, my, my training as a youngster was um, just being very active. I was, grew up in Crosby. I was always running down the playing fields, playing football, you know, uh, jumpers for goalposts, that kind of thing, jumping rivers, climbing trees. This is when I was a really little kid. That was, that was my training. And then um, I, w- I would never stop in the, in the uh, break time at school. I was always running around. And uh, that, that was my training as a, as a kid. And then it wasn't until... Um, I was about 16 years old, 15 or 16 years old that I actually got on the track and did my first proper training session um, for athletics. So late, possibly late in some to start, but I think um, a good age actually for, um, uh, you know, peaking at the right time uh, for when I did. And, um, you know, just the maturity side of things as well, being ready to handle uh, what it takes to... Uh, go a long way in the sport i think um i think i came
0: into it about the right time it's interesting as well you mentioned uh, andy fox his name's been mentioned to us to chat to uh, as well and i i mean andy's if i recall he's a school teacher and I, i'm pretty sure he taught me or he was certainly at school uh, i certainly know the name and i do recognize him around but funny you look at the aspects of him at grassroots level and just perhaps making that phone call to you to say to come down and join us that he kind of, say went out of his way, but, you know, didn't have to make that phone call and didn't have to, you know, maybe he saw you were maybe a bit shy at the time and perhaps wouldn't come down of your own uh, fruition. So uh, he made that call to, you know, make you feel welcome into the, into the Harriers.
2: Yeah, um, I'm very lucky actually because... Um... That was a fantastic group of um, mentors, if you like, and coaches that I had um, helping me around that time. Um, like, say, Andy Fox, um, who just wanted the best for me and everybody around him. And, you know, like people like Chris Quine uh, were in that group training at the time. Gianni Pofani, uh Colin Moore would mentor me as well. Back then, I had a really, really um, great group of people looking out for me. And um, I, was, I still remember when Andy rang up and asked me to come and join the group. It was like a huge honor at the time. and um, it's funny because, like I say, he didn't have to call me to, to join the group. I only finished a couple of seconds behind him in that race at Easter. And I don't think he ever beat me again after that. So uh, he kind of uh, he dug his own grave there. Uh,
0: yeah. Well, again, easily in the competitive nature that we all are, is to to, to not want to help someone who's in the near, near competitors to you.
2: Yep. But um, like I say, just at that time, and this would be 2002 or uh, around then. There was just that great group of people and they just all genuinely wanted to help each other. So um very, very lucky.
1: And um, at this point, what sort of distances and disciplines were you, were you doing?
2: Um, well, like I say, I was just a schoolboy. So in the English schools category, I was running 3K on the track. And I think in my age group, so under 17s, um, senior boys, schools, cross country, I was running uh, between four and five miles. Um, the distance, the distances can vary a little bit in cross country, and then on the track it would have been three thousand or five thousand meters. So,
0: so always an engine on you then, because
2: yeah, I was always uh, that was like a that was like distance running to me then. Obviously, I stepped up as I got older and went to ten thousand meters, and uh, the cross country distances lengthened as as I went through the age groups. But back then, it would have been three three k, five k, and then four or five miles on the cross.
0: Is that what typically happens with cross country? As you move up the age brackets, the distances get further.
2: Yeah, they do. Yeah, as I say, each race um, distances can vary slightly. But um, you know, as a, as a junior, as, a, as an under twenty, you probably run about um, between th- three and five miles. usually six to eight k, and then as a senior, they'll you'll run uh, between ten and twelve k. The national champs.
0: And do they vary throughout the country where you're doing races? Would would is that? Pretty standard, or can you go and find longer junior events if you wanted to run a fifteen, um, 15 event? It was it pretty. Standard.
2: I think you could, although there might be rules as to um, how far you can run uh, when you're a junior. Um, I'd have to do my homework on that, but you know, you're not, I know you're not allowed to like run a marathon when you're under the age of I think I think it's eighteen. Um, I'm not sure on half marathon and ten k. I think you can still run a ten k when you're a junior, but. Um, the The classes that you contest in your age group at national champs would be a set distance
0: usually. Okay. And again, maybe a stupid question, but when you when you compare cross country to track running, outside of the mud, how how different are they? You know, technique wise, what what are the kind of principal differences? Um,
2: well, they're very different, really. I mean, they're the same in that they're both running. You know, you just. Um, going from the point A to point B as fast as you can, but uh, technically um, they're very different. Some people are much more suited to cross country than track. Uh, that was the case for me in my um, very early days. Um, and then other people who are perhaps uh, physically a bit stronger and have a little bit more speed in the legs would be uh, more suited to the track than the cross. They just maybe would sink in the mud. Uh, as I say, I my... Um, Specialty was probably cross country right the way through my career, but uh, my my track sort of was okay as a junior, um, and my cross country was very good. And then later on, as I sort of physically developed and um, learned the trade, I, I did excel more on the track as well as across.
0: What would you say, looking back in the early days as a cross country that, that those key attributes that you had that made you good at that element? Just more from a uh, you know, not understanding what that might be—is it if light-footedness? Is it uh, purely on yeah. um, the strength, um, strength around? Um,
2: you know, it, I'm it did come very naturally to me. I—I um, I was quite—I um, was very lightweight as a teen and as a junior, um, so I think that helped me kind of skim through the mud. As you say, light on my feet, uh, just great natural sort of agility and. Um, I would just sort of skim over the mud like it wasn't there. Like other guys who were faster over distances, short distances on the track would just kind of get to the mud and, and sink. And I would just seem to always romp over the mud and um, find it easy, if anything. It just, it just came very naturally to me. And I think it was because I was very light and agile.
1: Nice. Um,
2: but it's, it's a bit of a mystery why some people are, are great on the cross and then others aren't and vice versa. It's... Yeah. everybody just has their kind of niche and I was just I was just good on the cross and honestly the muddier and hillier like the better for me because the courses can vary some of them can be flat and dry and some of them can be really muddy and hilly and uh, generally the, the tougher the course the, the more I came into my
0: element really did, did you do any just speaking of hills did you do any fell running during that during those or during your career at all?
2: Yeah I did actually yeah um, so in that kind of like year where I was dabbling with football and running and kind of popping down to max harry's once a week i'd go and do the local foul runs as well just on a on a saturday or a sunday morning um and they were great fun he's just uh he's just put football boots on because they were usually like muddy <laughs> courses and just peg it up the hill and back down again and um yeah. that was all great kind of um that's all great memories as well i just I just really enjoyed um being around runners and like I say, pushing myself that kind of introvert side of it i think as i as I got into my teens i I found that 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 was um what I enjoyed most rather than uh being involved in a in a team spot
0: so at 17, 18, then looking to go to uni, St mary's comes up Is
2: that right uh, yeah, it did you yeah. um, things were going well on a runner front uh in the year or two before St. Mary's happens, you know, when I was doing my A-levels. Um, I was already running for Great Britain at that point on the cross um, in a few internationals, and I'd run the World Cross-Country Championships as well. Um, I'm one of the team managers.
0: Talk us through how GB came about. Was that a phone call? How did that, how did that happen?
2: Uh, no, you have to run it like a trial race. Okay. So they'll have, like, the, um, the World Cross-Country Championships um, trial race. Uh, for each country will host, host a trial so I would do the British trial race and it's, um, it's basically first six across the line uh, get picked for the team um, and I made that as a junior I, uh, I ran the World Cross in Brussels in 2004 as a 17 year old I was actually first British finisher that day as well um, right. and one of the coaches one of the team managers for Great Britain was a coach at St Mary's College um, still is now a guy called Mick Woods And uh, that's when the conversation started about uh, St. Mary's. And you might wonder why St. Mary's, um, they had and still do have a running endurance performance center based at the college down there, down in Twickenham in London. And um, it was was the only thing of its kind, really, at that time, um, in the early 2000s. And um, like I say, I was completely on this quest to be the best runner I could be at the time. Um, running at GB level as a junior and wanted to see how far, how, how far I could go. So the only logical place for me to go to college was at a place where I could uh, be around runners and be a better runner. So um, yeah, 18, 19 years old, my bags were packed and I was off to, off to Twickenham. them.
1: <laughs> and around that time as well, did you represent the Isle of Man at the Games as well?
2: Um, yeah, I did. Yeah. My first Island Games was when I was about 16 years old. I went to Guernsey in 2003, um, finished nowhere in the 1,500 metres and the 5,000 metres, um, Eight. Just, just young and inexperienced, and, um, uh, but that was like a, a massive stage to me at the time. And then two years later, I went to um, Shetland as well, and um, that was the summer before I headed down to St Mary's.
0: So you, and obviously that's all track, isn't it, the Island Games?
2: Uh, yeah, that's um, that was just track and field. So I would run like the five k there or the fifteen hundred meters as well. No, no cross country at the Island Games.
0: You're second in both those events in 05? Yep. I
2: doubled and I doubled in, I doubled in uh, the five thousand meters and the fifteen hundred meters uh, in all three
0: Island Games that I did. Again, I'm no runner. How how different are those distances outside of being clearly different distances? How how do they? How, you know, fifteen hundred meters
2: and a and a five thousand meters. Yeah. Um well fifteen hundred meters um well to me anyway just feels like a sprint more or less. It's only you know, between three and a half and four minutes of almost max effort um would suit a middle distance runner far more. Um so somebody coming possibly from even an eight hundred meter background or somebody who's an out and out miler. Uh whereas the five thousand meters is um moving more into kind of an aerobic kind of um, state where, which would suit more of a distance runner or somebody who uh, like cross country,
0: would, would all or a number of athletes? So, just using O five as an example, where you've done the fifteen hundred and five five thousand or five k, there would there be the same athletes in both, or did, was it was that unusual what you did
2: in the in the 5 k? Yes, no. Some athletes were double in that, um, not unusual at all. You can be a great 1500 meter runner and a great uh, five thousand meter runner. Um, there's uh, Olympic champions that have doubled in, in both um, and been successful. Um, so, yeah, yeah. no, not, not
0: unusual at all. So, so, 2000, we talk kind of when you're at St Mary's, 2005, type of time. You're uh, also running in the English national cross country champs as well?
2: Yeah, I was, yeah. Um, just trying <laughs> to uh, spam my memory back that far now. Um, <laughs> I was actually the English national cross country champion as a junior before I even went to St Mary's. I won the national cross country in um, the junior national cross country in 2005 um, in Birmingham uh, as an 18 year old and uh, yeah that was that was even before I headed to St Mary's so as I say just um, meddling sort of like as a as a national schoolboy and under 17 and then Taking it into the junior ranks as well when I, when I was at college, just kind of moving up so through the age groups and managing to stay in that top kind, of, top kind of three, top kind of six that would be selected
1: for teams. Yeah, so, so, so did that kind of put a bit of pressure on you then if you're already the champ before coming across St Mary's and in this running sort of environment? Do you feel anything like that, that there was that expectation on you to, to make sure you kept, keep winning and bringing those results?
2: Yes and no. Um, yes, in that like a lot of my competitors were at St Mary's with me. Um, as I say, I was a national cross country champion uh, before I went to St Mary's, and the guy that finished second behind me was in the in the room next to me in in, in our dorm at St Mary's. And then he took the title off me the following year when we both <laughs> lived together at St Mary's. So there was that kind of um, competitive side to it where we're all living together and we're all technically teammates, but we're all rivals as well because we all do the same. Uh, national championships and we're all vying for the same Great Britain spots on teams so and I was very young as well at the time just a teenager and as you say I'd only been in the sport a few years by this point so like looking back I did used to sort of it was quite a lot of pressure yeah I did used to sort of feel quite anxious a lot of the time um used to get quite a lot of nerves when I was much younger um but again that's just something that I learned to deal with as I um, and handle
0: better as I as I got older. And in that in that environment, obviously, assume you've got training partners there as well. Did, 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 back then maybe uh, it's not it's not like it was a million years ago, but did they provide all the support around nutrition, uh, strength and conditioning, even sports psychology? Was that kind of thing at that level at that stage? Um, yeah, in. they
2: did. Um, they had um, coaches who were employed. Um, full and part-time at the college to take group training sessions and uh, they would have a physio that would come in once or twice a week and um, if you're a funded athlete like I was at the college you're entitled to get a physio spot each week Um, so that was um, obviously very helpful but I think the main reason I was there was just to be in an environment around other um, ambitious runners um, although looking back I was probably one of the more um, intense uh, people down there as I say I took it I took, I took it very seriously um, from you know from the moment I uh, won that medal at the English schools as a, as a schoolboy as a 16 year old it was it was no turning back and I it, it wasn't it wasn't a hobby to me it was a, it, it felt like life and death sometimes yeah. Which is quite unusual for a teenager, because usually you have to do all you can to keep the teenagers out out of the bars and keep them out of trouble. But I was quite different in that sense. I was um, extremely um, diligent and and dedicated, almost probably to my own detriment at, at times.
0: We we chatted to uh, a George in an earlier episode, and he again similar of on his rugby very focused and uh, partying wasn't you know high on the list at all.
2: No, um, I wouldn't. Um, I'll keep well away from that sort of stuff it was like it was like the devil to me when I was and I was a teen, which like I say isn't isn't anything like a normal teenager um which I wasn't I was just trying to be as good at a runner as I can and um, you know very um, very ritualed and kind of a touch to that kind of sports sort of OCD, you know um, like things done in a certain way my training has to be perfect and uh, everything timed in a certain way and just very um organized and ritualed with. With my running and racing and training. Um, and this is just when I was like, you know, 17, 18, 19 years old. Did,
0: okay. Did you, uh, you then and you represented again on junior and senior level at like the world cross countries as well. Obviously, haven't done the Euro championships as well. What were those experiences yes. like? Because obviously you you're here um, with you know the, the best runners in the world.
2: Brilliant. I mean, the buzz of just um, crossing a finish line um, at a trial race and being in that top six, um, and then you know later that evening getting the phone call after the selection meeting and being told that you're going to run for Great Britain in the European or World Champs was just what I it's, it's what I lived for at the time. Um, amazing feeling, and then you know all your kit comes in the in the post, um, plenty of it as well, and yeah. uh, your flight tickets come to the championships and. You know you meet um you're there with the team and you know like i say you're representing your country so it just feels um it feels amazing if it doesn't feel amazing you shouldn't be there you know so that's uh that's, that's all just kind of you there say again oh, yeah i am yeah
0: yeah it's and that's just everything paid for by gb in that regard oh
2: yeah yeah i know yeah they would they would fund that yeah yeah
0: okay so looking back at your whole experience at st mary's that was Obviously, a good stepping stone. I guess what came next. So you moved eventually. Yeah, moved. it
2: was um, just a. So I spent I spent four years at St Mary's in total. Um, got my got a bachelor's degree in sports health and exercise science. Um, had a had a had a good positive experience down there. Um, training with the group at the performance centre, I I formed a really great partnership um, with a guy called Andy Vernon um, who. Um, has had a great athletics career he went on to run in the olympics uh, uh, over 10k um and we we linked up really well for my time at st mary's and I, I really progressed but um in sort of spring summer of 2009 i was graduating and it was perhaps time to um seek something else out and as uh, that's that's when
0: my phone rang one
2: day and i was recruited out to the University of New Mexico wow.
0: and how did that connection come through to, to, to make that phone call um, well the, co- the coach out at the University of New Mexico
2: um, um, he um, keeps his eye on a lot of British results and I guess he'd been following my progress for some time and there was a couple of other Brits who I'd run with internationally already out at the University of New Mexico who kind of tipped him off about me so um, it was kind of came out the blue like I say my phone just kind of rang one day um, and he said I've got a full scholarship for you at the University of New Mexico <laughs> um, do you want to come and give it a shot and at that point um, it was just just what I needed.
1: I say, yeah. Do you, do you think that was a, an easy choice to make then there wasn't a of hesitation in other potential opportunities you know you know appreciate you going all the way across. To, to that or was it a case of yeah this is exactly what I want so there wasn't any second thoughts
2: um it wasn't really um a hard decision to make at all because as I say it was a fully paid scholarship at division one school to go and further my education with a master's degree and um train and compete in the NCA system which is more or less sort of being like a professional athlete for a couple of years um it was just a it was a no-brainer really um if I hadn't gone, I probably would have just had to have um, gone into a nine-to-five job back on the Isle of Man or in Twickenham if I'd stayed down there and just kind of uh, grinded around around that um, back in back in the UK. But um, going out to New Mexico just gave me the chance to sort of uh, live like a professional athlete for the next couple of years and experience the American collegiate system as well, which had always fascinated me. Um, I've always really um, enjoyed being in America and followed the American results um, on the internet and whatever and to go out there and test myself against the best in America was something I was really excited to do so I said yeah and a few weeks later I was on a flight
0: out there. Interesting I've, uh, and it, the, the college yourself is that a high altitude out there or is the area in general allow you to do high altitude training out there?
2: Um, so where the New University of New Mexico is situated in, in Albuquerque, um, that's about 5,000 feet altitude, so about a mile high. Um, so I would have been living and training at altitude that whole time I was at the university. Uh, we used to leave the state to go and do races at sea level, um, but I was living and training at altitude whilst I was at the university.
0: So, give us a, if you can, in one minute, a description of how that, how that high, alt- high altitude, uh, how you say it, first of all, and uh, how how it how it benefits from a from a performance perspective. Um,
2: so, training at high altitude is shown or said to um, improve endurance performance um, because when you are training in an area with uh, less oxygen content in the area, your body is forced to recruit more red blood cells, which are your oxygen carriers, to cope with the stress of being in an area with less oxygen, if that makes sense. Yep. So you're building more red blood cells uh, by being in thin, low oxygen air. And then when you leave high altitude with your red blood cell count built up, and go and race at sea level, where there is more oxygen in the air, you, um, you have, a, a, you have a, um, an endurance advantage, if you like, because you've got more red blood cell carriers. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I worded that very well. I kind of stumbled that one a bit. But yeah, you basically recruit more red blood cells at high altitude. So when you race at sea level,
0: um, you're more efficient. Yeah, no, no, that makes absolute sense. So over those, over those, over that time at the New Mexico, kind of highlight results for you while you were out there. What springs to mind?
2: Yeah, um, my, uh, I was an All American. I'll, I'll say first of all, um, cross country and track Division One All American. That is. All um, All-Max American. <laughs> yeah, um, it's still if you place in the top um, top eight on the track or top forty on the cross. Um, yeah you're an all-american no matter what what country you're from but yeah all manx american but um so that was um that's a big big deal out here to be an all-american you know that's um, something um that everybody knows about and um the americans are very proud to put on their uh resumes as they call them but um they, they were the two sort of main highlights really but i also ran my ten thousand meter my 10k personal best at uh, Meet out at Stanford University around 28 27 for a 10,000 on the track. Uh, that's still my PB to this day. Um, and just had loads of great experiences really, you know traveling around various states and um, met loads of great positive, like-minded people.:
0: um, ate loads of crack, great food. Of course Is this cross and, cross and track?
2: Um, yeah, so it'd be cross in the, in the autumn and then track in the spring. right they would be your two seasons in the NCA system. But um, yeah, my whole, my whole experience of just being in New Mexico for two years and competing in that system was just incredibly positive. I really um, came into myself in that time, you know, grew as a person, grew as an athlete, uh, just really um, loved being um, in this environment here. And obviously I'm still here today, so I think that says a lot. But um, yeah, no, uh, and to have it all, like I say, full scholarship as well and actually. Um, leave at the end of it with having further my education it was just win-win-win situation mm-hmm.
1: so yeah you then came back to do the great north run in the 2011 i think how, how was that um yeah that was good i came back around the
2: june time um a little bit heartbroken to have, to have having left the kind of uh, great lifestyle mm-hmm. uh, college lifestyle that i had out in the states sort of wondering what I'm going to do next. I'd obviously taken my running to another level and I was kind of like, well, it felt like when I was leaving St. Mary's and I, I was talking about, do I just, you know, give it up or just get a job and, you know, train around that? Or it kind of felt like, like that scenario again. So I came back to the Isle of Manor initially and was just floating along, um, a bit of part-time work and um, got invited to the Great North Run in, in the September of 2011 dusted off my race flats and uh finished uh, first as first British finisher at the Great North
0: run that year. Right. Must have attracted a bit of attention that, I assume. It did actually, yeah. Um quite a late
2: decision to do it. Like I say, I was I was invited over there to go and to go to go and run it. And um especially like on the Isle of Man. Um it kind of the Great North Run is a very prestigious race, isn't it? I think everybody in Britain knows what the Great North Run is and to be the first British finisher definitely um, definitely attracted attracted some attention and uh, woke me up to some more possibilities as well.
0: What, what doors did they then open? What what kind of followed after that?
2: Well, not a lot really, if I'm being honest. Um, I what did I do after that? I immediately after the Great North Run, I was trying to figure out where my sort of next base would be. If you like to train and continue this um, journey to be the best athlete i can be um so immediately after the great north run i checked out a couple of um performance centers if you like in the uk i went through loughborough and linked up with a few runners there for a little while and um because uk athletics had a performance house set up there at the time so i went to see what that was all about and then i headed back down to twickenham as well where i was before i went to the university of new mexico to link back up with my old uh, training partner andy vernon who um had which worked so well for me in the past and spent some time down there with him training as well but this whole kind of time i just i just always missed that um training environment and lifestyle that i had out in new mexico um so eventually um when it became affordable um i I headed back out there again for, for a training camp.
0: How did it come affordable?
2: Um, well, I got some, because of performances, my performances in America and um, the Great North Run as well, um, I attracted uh, uh, some local sponsors at the time, um, had Alaman Sports Aid funding and had done for many years and um, got a couple of uh, local sponsors on board as well and I was also getting my uh, clothing and kit from uh, Adidas at the time as well so um I was kind of like grouping together um some forms of financial support which were able to help me help me sort of live this lifestyle of training in New Mexico and then competing in the UK that became like my kind of um my plan for the next few years if you like to use New Mexico as my training base and then Uh, return to the uk for my the championships and and trials
0: and i I assume ultimately even with sponsorship that the lifestyle isn't perhaps what some people might perceive as as necessarily glamorous it's just training no it's not it's um a friend thousands type of thing giving on couches yeah yeah yeah
2: let's uh, yeah let's uh, talk about that for a minute actually yeah so when i say like sponsorships i'm not um i'm not swanning around like conor mcgregor or whatever it's um it's a it's a a stipend you know very very hand-to-mouth existence so when i would go for these training camps in new mexico it was bunking down um in a rented house with um some training partners that were out there sometimes just on a mattress um on the floor um just making it work and um very sort of humble existence and uh, it wasn't like I could just get on as many flights as I wanted per year as well. I, I had budgets and um, expectations to meet as well to maintain my sponsors. Cool. Um, and so,
1: did, yeah, was, it,
2: was, did, it was all about just training, grinding, um, keeping it humble. Um, it wasn't anything glamorous about it all, while, at all. While you're doing
0: that and you're sleeping on the mattress, appreciating you obviously loving the sport, are there times when you think, what the, what the belief am I doing here? Do you have, or did you um, have like that? Or were you always you just enjoyed it so much that it was just a sacrifice and it was it was just part of the Not,
2: not initially when I was kind of um, in my mid-twenties you know fresh out of college and I was um, you know winning the national cross-countries as a senior at this time and um, still consistently uh, making Great Britain teams and I was just loving life and all, all I cared about was running and being better at running um, But a little bit later on, um, you know, uh, it did sort of, the lifestyle did sort of start to take a toll, especially when I started to um, get little injuries and, you know, um, the progression kind of plateaus a little bit. You do start to think like, I'm sleeping on a mattress here on somebody's floor, um, struggling to buy my groceries or whatever. Um, You know, when I go back home, it's back in. To, you know um, the part-time job, living with the parents again, and you know I'm getting injuries. It's um, it's it's becoming it's becoming hard. You know that, that's when you start to question where it's going and what you're doing. But initially, um, for the first sort of few years of doing it, I was just I was just so um, zoned into it that um, nothing <laughs> other than running fast crossed my mind.
0: Right. So, so part of our, our research when we, we and when we were chatting. Before, before we recorded we talked about and people can look up uh, it's a website called The Power of 10 which holds a lot of uh, runners information on there so I, I jot it down and correct me if any of these are wrong Keith so at 1500 your PB is 347 does that sound about right? Yeah it is yeah Yeah. 5k <clears throat> 1350 Yeah. 10k 2827 and yep. half 6339 wow. for a half marathon. yeah that was that
2: was the great <laughs> north run one the, the W one
0: I assume that was all downhill at that speed. That must have been all downhill. <laughs> uh, so looking at those, looking at those, uh, they're bonkers. Looking at those, uh, tart. I mean, to me, there's such a vast range from 1500, obviously, and there is a vast range between that and half. To have that again, uh, do many runners have that that much range in their in their running times, or or is it just naturally over a runner's career they'll tend to perhaps move up endurance over time, like perhaps Mo Farah as an example, where I guess he does more marathons than he used to.
2: Yeah, people move up the distances uh, usually. Um, some people are just like an out-and-out distance runner, so they will, you know, start with like the five and ten k, and at an early age, maybe just go straight up to kind of the half and the marathon. Um, but for me, I was always kind of like mentored to, um, you know, uh, work on work on speed a little bit when I was younger. You know, so keep in touch with the fifteen hundreds and the five k's, which are still kind of short distance, really. And then um, progressed kind of up through up to the the, the 10,000 and um, the half marathon a little later on. Although I say progress up to the half marathon and marathon, I didn't really run much road. I ran a handful of halves, um, did one marathon, but I kind of just found my niche at 10K and cross country, found that I could, you know, win national titles at that, make teams at that um, and sort of stayed there for the peak of my career. And I Didn't really enjoy running much further than um, 10k, and 12k on the cross. That was
1: kind of like my specialty area. And uh, how how did you? How did the training differ between those differences? Like, would some days you're just concentrating on the lower end, say the 1500, and then others you go out for, you know, your 10k runs, or like how did you Uh, approach them in that sense?
2: I'm more or less training like a kind of um, 10k slash 5k runner the whole time um, and ran cross country off of that um, and ran my 1500s off of over distance training as well and then when I ran a couple of halves I just kind of uh, maybe tagged on a few long runs or did a like a couple of um, half marathon, marathon specific sessions in, in the in the final few weeks build up but I am more or less kind of training like a 10k runner the whole time and then just adapted adapted from that. Because like I say, the 10K was my main strength. So I'll kind of stay in that realm and then um, ad- adapt
0: from there. Mm. Did, did, then, Obviously, uni's times and, and the colleges, you've got coaches there. When you've come out of that environment, do you then have a co- your own coach?
2: Uh, yeah. So um, in my final year at University of New Mexico, I linked up with a coach called um, R. Acevedo, a guy who lives here, out here in Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. And... Um, when I used to return to New Mexico, you know, um, when I had the sponsorships, et cetera, um, I used to link back up with him when I was here and he coached me, uh, right through to sort of the end of my elite career, if you like. Uh, but before him as well, I had, um, I had a coach that used to uh, work with me and Andy Vernon when we were at St. Mary's college a guy called Nick Anderson. He was a great coach. Uh, and before I went to St. Mary's obviously, uh, Andy Fox's group as well. So I had, um, I like I'd say I had like three coaches in my in my whole career. I didn't stay with one coach the whole time.
0: My my new reference point is is cycling when I when I come to the type of training, but is it similar where it's you've got kind of base work to do, just kind of steady miles, you'll then have interval training, which is for those non-sport people listening, is perhaps intensity work for two minutes, two minute rest, two minute on, that type of thing. Is that similar in running? Is that the type of thing?
2: yeah it is yeah most of it is just kind of getting out and logging base miles you know like aerobic miles or even like easy running for, for most of it um and then you've got like you say your intervals which are kind of when you start um running at race specific uh, paces train your body to sort of uh adapt to new intensities you know like vo2 max training fartlet runs and track intervals and then i do a lot of like tempo running as well so kind of um just like locking into um a, cr- a sort of what you would call a, a fast but controlled um, discomfort kind of pace and that would um, those, long, be, those would be v- very beneficial as well so kind of extended runs at kind of a controlled discomfort yeah. uh, the tempo run is like a staple for any any distance runners training yeah. and I do a lot of them as well and then obviously like the long run as well um, that, would, that would become more important the longer distances you run but um, I would do I would do a weekly long run as well.
1: So while you're out there training everything, what um, events did you come back to do in the UK over that time? Um, so when I was
2: between um, Albuquerque and uh, yeah. the UK for that, those few years, I would um, for the first sort of two years that I was doing that, I would um, come back and um, I won the national cross country twice um, in those first two years. I would I would go out and get like a eight, 10 week training block in in Albuquerque and come back and do those. Um, and then usually in the spring, I would head back out to the States, um, race on the track at the Stanford meet and try and get a, like a qualifying time or a PB over 10K there. And then head back to the UK and um, race like the um, British champs um, or the European track and field championships as it was in 2012 on the track.
0: This was obviously you were all flying first class here, obviously. <laughs>
2: uh, no, I was not. No, in a row and no. boat
0: across the Atlantic.
2: <laughs> no, this was just uh, me booking my own flights and no, no, uh, picking no. my own races. It's just uh, I had a coach who would meet me in New Mexico, but um, other than that, and the kind of the stipend money that I would get, it was yeah. um, that was pretty much as far as my yeah. my team went, if you like. Um, and during yeah,
0: was, you represent, continue to represent the island at. Island Games level?
2: Um, actually, um, I will throw in that um, it's hard to remember all this. I'm just like throwing my, my mind back now and things keep popping up. But uh, when I initially came back from the University of New Mexico, before even I did the Great North Run, I went to the Isle of Wight and I did the Island Games there. I won gold in the 5,000 meters and the 1,500 meters. Um, I actually broke the Island Games record in 1,500 meters and it still stands now. i um, not sure how long it'll stand for, but it still stands now, which I'm quite impressed with because um, the very first time I did the Ireland Games, when I was like 16 years old, as I say, I think I was knocked out in the heat, finished nowhere, and I am like a more of a 10k cross-country runner. So to hold the um, 1500 metre Games record, is, <laughs> is uh, um, I'm quite proud of that one.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and obviously representing the, nothing better than representing the Ireland, is there? Uh,
2: uh, no, um, I had an amazing time at that, that game. I think um, the Island Games is honestly probably one of my favourite events I ever ran because I could just go there and enjoy myself, be around all the other Manxies. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the few occasions, um, other than the Commonwealth Games, where, you know, you can represent the Isle of Man. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, obviously I'm in the sport to be as good as I can and run for GB and see how good I can be. But, like, the Island Games just really brings you back down to earth and just kind of, like helps remind you like why you do the sport and like how enjoyable it is like so i love to the island games
0: yeah no, i understand so so mention the commonwealth games there which was for 2014 when you represented the island maybe take us take us back before that because i know you had an injury in the run-up to that so where, where did that all kind of start from um injury aspect running then running it, and that experience of running up to the getting into the commies and doing the commies yeah
2: um yeah, I ran the Commonwealth at Glasgow in 2014, around the 10,000 metres on the track. And um, I qualified the year before, 2013. Um, and you're right, I did. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't ideal for me, my, my lead into, into Glasgow, uh, far from it, actually. Um, right at the end of 2013, mm-hmm. I remember it vividly, I was out on Christmas Eve doing a training session over on QE2 Field. and. Um, my knee completely went. I, to this day, I'm not, I'm not even totally sure what what happened, but my knee completely went, and for the next kind of few weeks and months, you know, just I couldn't run at all. Um, even just kind of walking around was quite painful. And um, after much treatment and you know rehabbing and cross training and and uh, you know just <laughs> praying, um, around May time, um, I started to. Get back into some running again, and this is only this is only a couple of months really, you know, um, before the Commonwealth Games. So I'm, you know, I've missed a lot of time, and I'm, I'm coming into it very late, uh, feeling quite a bit of pressure, you know, because it's, it's a Commonwealth Games in the United Kingdom, it's in, in Glasgow, which is, you know, about as close to a home games as you can get. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's going to be live on BBC on a Friday evening at nine PM. <laughs> right. Everyone's going to be watching it, and I'm not fully fit, so. Off, I went to Glasgow um, to take one for the team because I've been picked and, you know, rightly so. Um, Not in my best shape, but uh, went out there and just uh, did my absolute best. And um, at the time, I was very, very hard on myself, uh, really upset afterwards because it went nowhere near what I sort of um, had sort of dreamed my Commonwealth Games would would go Mm. all those years. Um, But looking back now, I didn't do bad at all considering uh, the circumstances leading into it and uh, I think I ran about 29.40 on the night which I uh, wouldn't get within within sort of two minutes of now. Uh, so um, on in long-term hindsight, um, it, it was a good effort but at the time, um, I was very hard on myself and couldn't really enjoy being at the Commonwealth Games because, you know, I just sort of had my head in the sand and, you know, I was just worried about how I was going to look, you know, because I, I wasn't in shape but... So it was, it was kind of a bit of sweet experience at the Commonwealth um, it was it, mixed emotions for sure that one but proud to have uh, have done it and ticked it off in so. and,
0: and, and the lead, lead up to that how did you, you know you' struggling with the with the injury your motivation how was your you know with the people around you as well for to, to, to I suppose for the one of that would encourage you and keep, keep that that positive outlook and that that focus of the Commie games coming up
2: yeah they were yeah I was still um this is um early 2014 um I'm still doing my back and forth between UK and Albuquerque at the time and I think when I was injured I already had flights booked out there so I sort of kept to my um kept to stayed in my normal training camp and um, cross-trained the best I could by cross-train I mean um, an alternative type of training which isn't running something which doesn't affect my injury so like spin biking or swimming or um you know aqua running as well um but yeah i mean obviously everybody was always you know how's it going you you know um are you in shape you know and like i say you sort of want to put yeah it was the first time i really had um a long-term setback um since i've been at that kind of top level so i was kind of a bit confused and i didn't really know how to take it and i sort of just kind of wanted to hide a little bit you know you almost don't want people asking asking how you are and how's it how's it going when it's not going well. Yeah. Um everybody just wants to help and support, don't they? But uh, at the end of the day, you know, an injury is only gonna heal um in its own time and um what will be will be on the night, I had to just get in the best shape I could with um the time that I had.
0: Yeah. It's it's good that you look can look back now though and you know, again as, as as an observer, you from the outside it's you know a massive achievement just to get there, let alone be in, you know, you'll be looking at it thinking it wasn't 100%, but, you know, you're probably 90%, you're not a million miles away, you were there, uh, and to have, you know, have that memory, and those, you know, that's something, a million, it is, yeah, to have, would absolutely I, love
2: it. I think at one point, you know, I was just so kind of, my ego was so kind of like knocked, and I was so kind of confused by everything, that I think at one point, I was just almost like, oh, I don't want to go, I yeah. don't want to go, unless I can be at the top of my game, and, but like like looking back now've running the Commonwealth games for the Isle of Man uh, like whether I came first or last, it like i'm i am i am proud to have have done it now and um at the time when I first got back, you know um everybody was just really excited that you know um they'd see me out there in the Manx vest um competing even though it was taped over <laughs> but um yeah it's um and I just sort of, I just didn't want to talk about it for a long time after. I just kind of, um, whenever somebody would mention it, I would not want to talk about it at all. Like if somebody asked me what my career accomplishments went, uh, were I would never mention the Commonwealth Games just because I was uh, annoyed about it. But like here we are, a few years later, and I can I can proudly say that I ran at the Commonwealth. So, You're
0: right. So so the tape. Talk us through Tategate.
2: <laughs> well, uh, storming a teacup there. Um, basically um i was going through the numerous call rooms that they have to check in for my race at the commonwealth and so this is in the stadium this is in the stadium yeah i'm underneath you know it's like uh you know it's like being um being a slave in the roman times being about to go out (laughs) to the coliseum and be slaughtered by the gladiators (laughs) i'm underneath um And we're going through the call rooms and um, just some official walks up to me and um, starts slapping a load of tape all over my vest. Um, I didn't question why at the time because I was just um, half dreading going out there, um, nervous. um, And you just kind of let the officials do what they need to do. Um, It turns out, I didn't know this, it turns out that what the official did was put um, black masking tape, um, which was very hot and heavy, I must add, on my singlet, my vest um all over the manx emblems on the back of my vest and steve cram who was commentating on the bbc at the time not- noticed it when we were all lined up on the start line obviously there's um there's thousands of manx he's watching it on the tv back home <laughs> and a lot of them were not happy that the manx emblem had been taped off and um I think people thought that I had done it as some kind of like stance against the Isle of Man or something, which was not the case. It was just an official walked up to me and slapped tape all over my emblem. Because I think he thought it was a sponsorship logo. You're not allowed to have like a sponsorship logo bigger than a certain size or dimension on on your racing kit, the sponsorship like regulations. Um, And he just um, obviously didn't know what a Manx three legs emblem was and just slapped tape all over it. And yeah. It didn't go down well, and um, but it took attention off the fact that my run didn't go well either, so um, <laughs> it was fine by me.
0: <laughs> so as you move on to the next stage of kind of 15, 16, see, see within your results, certainly 15, you're still racing in the States. I can see some results 2015. There. Yeah, 2015, yeah. Some some results there in Las Vegas, which is my favourite place in the world. Uh, I assume you did some running there, not gambling. Uh, yeah, that, that was the, cool
2: actually. Yeah, got invited yeah. to a half marathon that just went straight up and down the strip at um, uh, night, um, which was pretty cool. Just running, it closed off the strip, and we did, uh, I was invited to a, a half marathon out there. That was cool. Yeah,
0: need to, uh, I need to start running and getting that. That's right on my street. Not the run a bit particularly, but the... you can do
2: that. They've got <laughs> thousands of people do that. Um, yeah, it's, yeah it's on in November.
0: <laughs> I go and <with> support. <laughs> Sorry, I stand on the side. So. it's I suppose looking back now we're getting into the later stages of your of your running career are you starting to lose looking into 15, 16, 17 are you starting to lose maybe not consciously but love of the sport you've been running many years now you mentioned a big injury there in 13, 14 I guess they're starting to catch up with you just with the pounding from the age of six. especially with cross because I'd imagine that's even more punishing than just running on the track
2: Yeah, um, just trying to think how to sort of word this one. I think honestly, the knock that I had in the lead up to the Commonwealth Games, that kind of first long term injury, was a knock that I never really um, stabilized myself from. That was kind of um, the beginning of um, a plateau and a sort of slow departure from uh, my elite days in the sport. Um, I came back from the Commonwealth Games very. Upset and disillusioned because I had very high expectations of myself and it didn't go any any way that I wanted it to. Um, and then I had more problems when I got back as well. Kind of like that classic, you know, one thing leads to another. I I, I came back. It was this is in the August of two thousand fourteen, and I I missed um, a couple more months for I a, a, um, I can't even remember now. Just something else flared up, and then, um, but. I kept going, you know, I didn't, I did. It's not like I just like sacked it off there and then I, um, you know, I was still fully dedicated to being, um, the best I could be. And, you know, uh, the uh, Rio Olympics were just around the corner the following year and we're into, we're almost into 2015 now. So it's time to sort of think, you know, um, is it too late? Can I qualify? Am I going to step up to the marathon or is there more in the tank over 10k? Um, so it's kind of like a little bit of a um, a crucial time for me because I'm experiencing injuries. Um, I am feeling a little bit disillusioned, but um, at the same time, you know, the, you know, I've still got the sponsors on board, and the the Olympics are just a, a year away.
0: And, and how did so, that? Um, how did that? You know, how did that?
2: How did that? How did that
0: pan out? In sense of you mentioned Rio, it's obviously perhaps something in your mind. How did that then? How did the coming months and year pan out to? To, to that, if it was maybe it wasn't a goal on day one, but it was, I guess, rumbling around in the mind.
2: Yeah, um, I'd had that kind of whole um, debate with myself in in 2012. I was when I ran my 10,000 meter personal best in 2011, and then I ran very close to it again in 2012 when I went to the Europeans. Um, I was only about 20, 25 seconds off the Olympic standard, I think the Olympic B standard that year was twenty eight oh five. Obviously I ran twenty-eight twenty-seven. Um I I had the choice at that point, you know, am I gonna step up to the marathon at the age of twenty-five, something I've no experience in, and um or am I gonna or am I gonna see if I can make it over ten K and I, I made the decision in twenty twelve to stick at the ten K. Um whether that was right or wrong, who knows, but I, I went for over ten K and 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 missed out by 20 or 30 seconds. Um, I did get to go to the uh, European Championships and finished finish ninth instead, but uh, missed the Olympic boat that year. And then four years later comes around and it's um, am I going for the 10k again or am I going to um, just take a shot at the marathon? Uh, the only problem this time is, is I'm not at the same level that I was in 2012 um, um, because of the injuries that I'd started having. Um, and I made the decision, I figured that if I missed it in 2012 when I was at the top of my game, over 10,000 meters, I'm not going to make it um, in 2016 when I'm struggling with injuries. Um, so I thought that I would just take what was literally a, a bit of a, a punt really at the, at the marathon and see if, you know, going longer distance, like kind of a little bit less, um, less intensity or sort of, sort of slower pace would kind of suit me. Um, see if you know I, I suited the, that style of running on the road and the training and people had always said to me for like years and years oh you'll be a great marathon runner and I never really liked the idea of it because I always just really liked 10k and cross country but I thought you know I'm 29 years old now um, I'm not going to make it over 10k because I've tried that let's just have a punt at the marathon um, and I did have a punt at it and it, I think just the accumulation of kind of um, injuries and some disillusionment if you like that built over the previous kind of 12 or 18 months um resulted in in a solid debut but not where it needed to be
0: that was rotterdam
2: yeah i ran at rotterdam yeah
0: yeah yeah 226 yeah really slow i ran a (laughs) a 226 i was was
2: on for an olympic qualifier until about 17 or 18 miles all right and then um
0: the old wall start
2: start to yeah yeah um it's funny, actually. Now that I mean, it wasn't funny at the time, but um, or for a long time after. But I can kind of um, tell the story in a jokey way now. But um, yeah, I got to, I felt great through halfway. I looked at the clock. I was like, right on pace for like an Olympic qualifying time. And I thought, you feel great at halfway in a marathon. I thought, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. I might even pick this up and just smash it. I felt amazing. And then uh, I got to like 17 miles, and I started to like um, dehydrate and cramp up. Um, like, get my, my diaphragm just start pulling. felt like a knife was just stuck on my sides and I started to like slow down drastically. And then like the carb depletion hit in because I hadn't done any drinks or gels. Um I didn't really enjoy taking gels or drinks on in the middle of a run. It just didn't feel natural or comfortable to me. So I hadn't really practiced it in training and I, I didn't do it in the race either on race day. I just ignored my drinks, which is stupid and then i got to 19 miles and i think at one point i pulled over on the side of the road and actually like pretty much I like, dropped out stopped and then i just thought i'm not dropping out my first marathon because if i do that i'll do it every time mm. uh kept kind of like limping on uh, through 20 21 miles and by, by 21 22 i just had absolutely if you just imagine a car running smoothly along the road and then it just runs out of petrol suddenly and just stops that's what happened yeah. And like, the, I think it took me about 40 something minutes to cover the last 10 K. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I, I couldn't even, I couldn't like, I couldn't walk or eat or anything for like hours, uh, afterwards and was just sore for days, weeks, uh, after the race, it was really, um, humbling, really hit my ego. Um, it was not, was you, you have to just experience a marathon to know what it, what it feels like. And boy, did I experience it. Um, I was again, really hard on myself afterwards, like really negative, you know, like, oh, the Commonwealth didn't work out. I cut, you know, my 10 K days are gone. The marathon isn't working out. I almost felt like I was like, I could see the ends at this point. You know, I'm, I'm getting more injuries after the marathon, the body's breaking down, I'm getting older. Um, you know, like I say, I'm living this lifestyle where, you know, I'm just like hand to mouth and, you know, rely, you know, relying on responses and. Um, it's just all sort of accumulated to, um, you know, one big finale kind of thing.
1: So that was your, your, uh, one and only marathon then? It was my one and only marathon. Yeah.
2: Um, I just, um, since then I, I needed a I needed to just sort of step away from things for a little while after that kind of experience and just kind of, um, mentally find myself <laughs> a little bit. And in 2015 after that, um, I almost just kind of had a little bit of a um, hiatus for the rest of that year. You know, I was, like I said, I was picking up aches and pains and had become um, a lot bit, wasn't enjoying my running as much at that point, if I'm being honest, um, just because of the uh, the sort of tough blows that I'd had um, in the previous few months. So I sort of didn't really do much for the rest of 2015. And then, um, and then, uh yeah. 2016, I picked up a little bit again um, I, the, with the I did the half marathon we talked about in Vegas at late 2015, and then 2016 I did some local stuff out out in the US. But um, the last time I ran internationally was 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 you know Rotterdam Marathon and Commonwealth Games. That was kind of like the um, that they were kind of like the the big two blows
0: really that I, I didn't really recover from. Did you uh, did you find we talk to other athletes, and they talk about and, and, and sports psychologists, and they talk about this having this sort of identity outside of sport. And obviously, been running here very competitively for ten years. Injuries are taking their toll. Obviously, there's an element of self doubt coming in. I'm sure and struggles. Did you did you did you? I mean, again, this is in hindsight. Did you do you think you struggled a little bit with that at that time? Of my identity as I'm a runner, I can't run as well as I want to and
2: therefore yeah. I feel a little lost. Yep, 100%. Um, like I say, all I'd known in my life was running, and I was damn good at it until, um, you know, um, things started to yeah. take their toll. And um, when that did start to happen, and, you know, the performances did start to plateau and drop and injuries happen, um, yeah, you do have that um, identity crisis. You know, um, your ego gets hit. Who am I? Uh, what else am I good at other than running, uh, if anything? Uh, what am I going to do next? Um, you know, it's kind of like your superpower is almost like being taken away from you. You know, um, I'm Keith Gerrard, the runner. Uh, that's what I'm great at. Um, and now it's um, uh, what I used to be good at. You know, it's kind of like, who am I now? That kind of thing. Uh, definitely a difficult transition um, out of the elite side of the sport. Um, more difficult than any race or training session I ever did, definitely.
0: And that that transition then obviously it takes a bit of time, I guess, into more of what you do nowadays. I guess how did that? Yep. So you, I know you do a bit of teaching now and coaching, etc.
2: Yeah, um, still transitioning, but um, <laughs> I'm at a very, very good um, place in my life right now, where I'm fulfilled through my you know teaching and coaching roles and um, some private coaching I do as well, and my my family life here of um, really done well to sort of turn myself around from kind of that place I was in a few years ago where I had nothing other than running and then when that was um, slowly kind of like taken away um, through injuries um, you know that did put me in a dark place I'm going to be honest you know I I didn't know what was next but um, I think looking I at it have, I was just going to say as an observer
0: again you, when this is going on I guess a lot of the time as well you're in New Mexico and I'm sure you've got an element of support network there ultimately your family aren't there well i appreciate marriage wise but certainly parents wise family and, and perhaps close what you might call close friends from you from your childhood aren't there so again that's i guess that's a battle another battle within itself is yeah, that I'm not say you're lonely yeah. by any stretch but there's elements of, of a general support network that aren't around because they're five ten thousand miles away
2: yeah, that was a big, that's a big thing as well. Um, I live at the other side of the world from where I'm, where I'm from. And honestly where my, where some of my best friends are as well. And, and my blood related family, um, yep. it was a big decision when I, when I decided to, um, sort of uh, move out here permanently, but one I felt very comfortable in making, I was sure that, um, and it wasn't a running related decision. Um, when I, when I found it, when I did make that decision as well, I'd, um, so sort of come to peace with the fact that you know my elite running days were over, and um, whilst I might enjoy racing again at some level, um, uh, when I made the decision to move out here, that was um, uh, not uh, that was sort of after after the running chapter at the elite running chapter at closed But yeah, I miss, miss the family, miss the friends. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's difficult too.
1: Uh, so when you say there about stopping your elite stuff, did you? take a break for running altogether? Was it something you wanted to kind of get away from and find that other self of Keith, to, to put it that way, in your identity? Or was it you still wanted to carry on and think, okay, well, I can impart all the stuff I've learned and go into teaching? Or was, was there a kind of gap of like, self-reflection and taken away from the sport first?
2: We're getting into it here. Uh, that's <laughs> an open-ended question, that one. Um, life just kind of flowed. I didn't consciously make any decision to sort of step away from running and work on this or that, or, um, honestly, I, I love running. I just enjoy, um, running, um, every day if I can still today. Um, most of the, if I can't run, it's usually just because I have an ache or a pain. I seem to pick them up, um, uh, a lot these days, even though I'm not running at elite level anymore, which is strange, but, um, I never consciously made a decision to step away from running. That more just happened after a series of kind of like injuries and I suppose disillusionment. Um, But my transition into sort of like teaching and coaching roles just kind of happened gradually as I sort of found myself during those times. Um, You know, I just realized that I enjoyed um, uh, mentoring people, um, like helping people, something I'd never done in my life before um because I'd always just been so selfish, sort of focusing on my own running, which you have to be when you're when you're an athlete. Uh, but now I was kind of um, you know, working with other people and helping them with their running goals. Um made sense to go into coaching because that's the one thing I have a true expertise in. So um set up my own little um, um online coaching business which I can uh operate from back in the UK or when I'm out here in the States and um, I have stepdaughters out here as well and I've an amazing connection with with them and um, my wife, my family life, and realized that, you know, uh, from my high school coaching and having steps around me, I I uh, enjoyed sort of uh, being around kids as well and and helping them because teaching and coaching go hand in hand. You're just just helping people, aren't you, to be the best version of themselves? So that's kind of how um, the coaching led to high school coaching and led to, um, you know, uh, working in a school and
0: teaching roles. And people looking to be coached, they can reach out to you, can they?
2: Yeah, yeah, they can. Yeah, I will work with um, absolutely anyone, anyone who wants to better themselves through running at any level. Um, uh, hope there's not a misconception that you have to be some super fast elite runner to work with me. That's not the case at all. In fact, the opposite. If you're just someone who is starting out and running, um, or perhaps you know um, wants to just um, build your fitness or get into some local racing, or maybe you're already at club level and you just want to try some new. Um, training plans and um, I'll work with anyone who's willing to listen and um, uh, bet themselves
0: You find you on Facebook you've got a Facebook page for
2: yeah I do yeah check out uh, Keith Jarrett Running as my page on Facebook and um, if you want to send me a message on there that's a pretty good way to get a hold of me it, uh, like most people are on Facebook aren't they or yeah, yeah. you can ping me ping me an email as well uh, running505 at com. but oh. uh, yeah Facebook's good
0: We'll share them on our on the footnotes for the uh, episode as well. So people, who yeah, go for
2: it. Yeah, I've been doing that now since about uh, late 2015. I, I set that up in the in the midst of my kind of um, uh, sort of injury and what am I going to do next crisis, and um, I was still kind of um, trying to scramble back to an elite level and in, in, in my running at the time, and to sort of additionally um, to sort of. Give myself another purpose in life and help people and help, you know, um, fund myself as an athlete as well. That's why, why I set that up. And five years later, um, I'm not trying to be an elite athlete still, but I'm still online coaching because I love it. Yeah.
0: yeah. Obviously, you, you just have having spent the last hour or so chatting through what you've done. is obviously a lot of immense amount of experience and being in environments with GB as well. that you know, knowledge that you can pass on to people and that. Like you say, it still applies at grassroots. People who just want, you know, to to run their first marathon and need a structure and and some guidance uh, that will, it's all. Absolutely. Uh, so we have uh, yeah. to, to sort of digress a little. Uh, we have, we have some knowing you were coming on. We had some questions from uh, a few listeners that we wouldn't mind just running through if you have got a few minutes.
2: Yeah, go for it.
0: So uh, one of the questions I, that was asked, I was I was chatting to someone and I was. Talking about having you on, and they they they've got some children that are, that are taking up running at they're sort of nine ten year olds. What kind of advice would you uh, uh, give runners of that age? You know, if that, is that about just going out and enjoying running uh, and not thinking about it too much? That type of thing. Just just general advice for young runners.
2: Yeah, or, um, I think at that age, it's, good, it's the, the key word here is just enjoyment. Um, you've got to be enjoying what you're doing when you're a kid, and Um, I think multi-sport backgrounds are great as well at that age Um, like I say I was multi-sporting and um, just got my general fitness at that age from just being an active kid playing out Um, so just make sure whatever you do um, when you're a kid you're enjoying it because you're not going to last otherwise running isn't glamorous or or fun at the best of times so you better make sure you at least enjoy what you're doing Um, but there's all sorts of... um, like you know, young athletes leagues and uh, training nights on now around the Isle of Man, and yeah. I know that the young kids can go and socialize and um, experience kind of grassroots training sessions. In so, pop down to them, see if you like it, um, keep multi sporting if you're really young, and then you know, when you get a bit older, if it's what you want to specialize in, then uh, you can you can do that um, when you're ready,
0: get a bit more focused when you're a little older. Yeah, the duet does. Through the because there's a lot of young I see a lot of young run running on the Isle of Man. Do, does that follow through? Because again, I, again, I compare to cycling where there's a there's a big youngster and there's kind of career path you can see, almost see now within the cycling arena. Is that the same, or, or does running lose a lot of runners as they get to the kind of the fifteen sixteen age and perhaps beer and late nights and things like that, or other things get to, get distraction? Is there a fallout?
2: Yeah, there is. Um, I think every sport has a dropout rate, doesn't it? At that kind of age, but um running especially um like i say i first ran for gb as a 17 year old um and last time i ran for gb i was 28 so over a span of 11 years there and in that 11 years i don't think i ran in um a gb team two gb teams that were the same or even half of the team was the same it seemed like every every sort of like you know two or three years there would just be a um, a new generation of runners come through people um, who are like national level and qualifying for GB teams as uh, you know juniors or um, early in their senior career would just suddenly disappear and you wouldn't know you wouldn't know where they've gone and you'd never see them race again Um, I guess maybe other priorities in life take over Um, uh, injuries take their toll or when you're a bit younger as a teen you can get distracted in other ways can't you um but there's definitely a huge huge dropout rate. I think sometimes people start very young. Uh, they're pushed and pressured very young. And then, um, you know, or perhaps they're physically more advanced than others when they're young and that's why they win. And then when other people grow and catch them up or start training more, um, they don't like that and then they drop out. Yeah. Um, or, like I say, shift in priorities or uh, sometimes as they just get older, they realize they've got to work harder to stay at the top and they don't like that. Um, so- there's there's loads of reasons why people drop out but I like throughout my my years in the sport I'd say from a from a 17 year old running for GB through to a senior runner for GB I, I saw so many amazing athletes come and go just disappear in, in like in, in, a, in one season
0: and then well I just talked before about You'd, I suppose knowledge and imparting it, not parting it on, on people you coach now. When you look back now at the injuries and the physical and the mental toll that took on you, what advice would you give someone now who's perhaps, and I can testify I haven't got an injury right now, what advice would you be giving them now uh, from what you've learned from your own dealings with, with injuries? Do you know what?
2: Um, okay, I think a, a few key points here. Um, I think number one is is consistency and that seems like an obvious one or almost a cliche but just once you choose to specialise and you're all in um, and you know you're at that level that you want to stay at and pro- progress from just be consistent um, you've always got more time than you think uh, don't panic be patient and consistent you know I've got a little expression I like to tell my clients and people that I work with you know just, just aim for 7 out of 10 every day or, or, or just B pluses um, every day are enough. You don't need you don't need um, A pluses every day in training. Um, just like three hundred uh, B pluses for three hundred and sixty five days a year, year after year, will take you to where you want to go. Right. Don't 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 try and overreach and um, you know just that's kind of where the injuries happen. And um, just just be consistent with it. Be patient, I suppose, would be number two. Um, it's a long, long road into the senior ranks and then beyond. Um, this is for like more younger athletes who, um, who, are, who are looking ahead into the future. Be patient as well. You've always got plenty of time. If a race isn't going to go well, there's always going to be another one. You're always going to get a second bite at the cherry. Um, and that other word that I used before as well for the much younger kids, but this is applicable to um, teenagers and seniors as well, is make sure you're enjoying it. You're not enjoying what you're doing. It's gonna, it's gonna be way harder than it needs to be. Um, so if that means you know, um, sourcing out some training partners, um, just like trying different running routes, or you know, um, arranging a training camp holiday with your with your club or your group, or just you know, giving yourself little rewards, incentives. You know, um, after training sessions, just make sure you you enjoy what you are doing. you don't have to be a complete Um, monk or a martyr. Um, I was very very hard on myself and I would never go back and um, do it all again because I achieved far more than I ever thought I could. And honestly, my time in the sport as an elite runner encompassed everything that I would want from that experience. So I would never go back and do it again. But if I did, I would probably keep these points that I'm saying now more in, in mind
1: yeah.
2: um, you know just the consistency you know don't uh, you don't have to overreach all the time uh, be more patient you get an injury it's okay you're gonna get another chance keep mm-hmm. enjoying it you know I'd probably source out training partners more I did a lot of running on my own and kind of just work like, like to sort of keep myself to myself but you know use people around you even if they're much better than you or, or much slower than you. Um, you, you no man is an island Get, um, it's not where you are it's you know your support team around you is probably more important than, than where you are or even what your natural ability is so source and, out people around you
1: and uh talking on the enjoyment side um appreciate this might be a bit difficult due to your long resume you've got but what would you say your best races or most enjoyable races you've done over the over your time
2: um Right, I'll just go off the cuff. Three, um, two or three that are popping into mind now. Uh, the first time that I won the English National Cross Country it was just an amazing day to be a senior national cross country champion. Um, yeah. I, I did win it again the following year, but that was that was an absolute boxing match. That one in horrible conditions, and I didn't didn't enjoy it as much. So the the first time uh, I won, um, another one would probably be when I. Um, was an All-American for 10,000 meters on the track. Um, my last race as a collegiate athlete in the States, I think I stood on the podium that day as an All-American and, you know, I uh, te- felt tearful that day. Um, and then running for Great Britain in the European Championships uh, track as well, placing ninth. That was just like a really proud moment for me, you know, um, yeah. just to be at a major championships run- running for Great Britain. So, um yeah, the, the commonwealth doesn't quite uh, make it into, into there i'm sorry
0: <laughs> Achievement though whether whether you you know don't reflect on it yourself very positively still a massive achievement
2: yeah um, no and that's that's up uh, there my achievements how i handled it yeah. but um in terms of like great memories um, yeah, no, the, three, the three right. that i said
0: yeah and just one, one, one other question if, if you don't mind before we finish up and it's probably yeah, uh, sometimes a question that athletes what uh, don't particularly want to talk about which is fine as well but when, when you look at uh, again as observers of sport drugs in sport in in your time at a fairly elite level was that ever not necessarily obviously not particularly asking for yourself but was that something that was ever I wouldn't even say you saw but just that even people would talk about was that something was it just a taboo subject that no one talked about and if somebody was doing it, it, was very much you know they were on their own and it was just you know just not addressed
2: well I think it's talked about because people know that um there are there are individuals who 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 do it you know um it's never something that i um witnessed myself um was offered myself or even thought about for a split second myself but of course you know when you're trying to be the best athlete you can and you you're running major championships you do you do think sometimes and you know what's everyone else doing um you know let's not let's not be um Let's not be naive here. We we know it happens at the top level, and um, people yeah. are getting caught, and um, we know it happens. But yeah. I, I,
0: I, I, I don't. Oh, sorry, it's gone. I was going to say I would imagine that uh, again. You're performing, and I don't, I don't mean you personally, but any athlete at that level that when you're getting beaten by you know, or you're not winning things, you you're always looking at. Many reasons i 'm not training well enough i 'm not eating well enough i 'm not nutrition I, mean, I, I could always imagine that slipping in the thought is, is this is this guy who perhaps I was beaten two years ago who's now smashing me up is you know that that doubt comes in there and it, it, it you can 't control that and that's that's for that athlete to decide, but it must i just can 't believe it doesn 't play on people 's minds at times
2: yeah I saw a few in, in, uh, in, incidents of um like you say people making miraculous comebacks and um uh, improvements in performance at very late and suspect ages. Um, you know, just people that you keep people that maybe I don't even know personally, but there are other sort of competitors from around Europe or around the world that, you know, you keep, you keep your eye on, but, um, innocent until proven guilty is insane. I'm going to be honest. I never really let that ever cross my mind or affect me. I was, although I was always competing against, um, people, um, I was always really again, it sounds a bit like cheesy, but I was always really just against myself. I mean, like who are you cheating but yourself if you choose to um, like using an, an unfair advantage against the competitor um, and I just think that like life has a funny little way of working itself out um, if you're not caught, I think that that could um, eat you up morally um, later yeah. on in life. It would for me anyway, I would yeah. never consider um trying to cut a corner or 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 um Get an advantage, an unfair advantage over a competitor because my moral compass is um, is, is set in the right place. But yeah. for some people, um, it's just all about winning, all about ego, and they're going to do whatever they can to get an advantage, and that's just how it is.
0: Yeah, yeah,
2: interesting. Okay, yeah, but no, didn't um, directly uh, witness or come across it in any of my uh, my circles. To um, yeah. to answer the initial question.
0: Well, thanks for your time. It's uh, I must say again, as an observer, I've obviously seen seen results in the in you know certainly in the local papers, going back ten years. Never obviously followed running massively to know a lot about your careers. So to have a chat now for for a good a good chunk of time, uh, certainly a stellar career that you know I'm sure you are proud of. And as an observer, it's a, it's an impressive record, uh, and not very you know good of you to be candid about those more difficult times as well. We appreciate that. I think. Part of us wanting to get the message out to listeners is that you know we all compete at sports at different levels, and we all have those struggles of you know where's me form, uh, and it's you know it's as important to me competing locally as it is to you competing on a far different scale. So we appreciate you chatting about that. And, uh, just yeah, once again, thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you very much.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh... Just on that last point there, it's not all, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, is it? But um, yeah. there's, there's an expression in Distance Running. I think Dave Bedford um, said it, like 90% of it is a slog. Um, only 10% of it is kind of uh, enjoyment and sort of glory. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. That's definitely the case, but now it's all kind of uh, wrapped up. Um, I just, uh, yeah, those those things we just went over there, it was nice to, nice to chat about them and dig them up from the memory bank. and. Um, just a, a, a great experience on the whole and it, sh- it shaped me to be who I am today definitely uh, sometimes wonder what, what would have become of uh, me um, if I hadn't found running so, or if running hadn't found me rather so yeah, yeah.
0: Okay.
1: well thanks again Keith thank Cheers.
2: you no problem guys alright I'll catch you soon
1: bye and there was our chat with Keith Thoroughly enjoyable. So, thank Very you again for that, yeah, Keith. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, just from my side, whether you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud, please like, subscribe, and share, and leave us those five star reviews, pretty please. On Facebook, with the M Word Podcast, Twitter, our handle is Manx Sports Pod, and on Insta, we are the M Word IOM. So, and, and sorry, also forgot. Please recommend guests for us to speak to um and also you may be listening to martin he's been asking some questions for guests if you happen to know who we're going to be speaking to please um submit some for us because we'll no yep. have a look yep. at them and uh, and give them to
0: yeah we've got quite a few quite a few really good guests lined up i think matty and i would like to have more time to do more of them to be honest uh, just with everything else but but keep those recommendations coming in because there's some some fascinating characters and fascinating stories out there that we like to dig in so Definitely. So yeah, thanks again guys, thanks for letting us get into your ears It's word out from Martin
1: And word out from Matt